Hello and welcome to the Courageous Leaders Club. Are you ready to take your leadership to the next level and activate your full potential so you can lead with courage, certainty and conviction? Then this is the podcast for you. I'm your host, Joanna Howes, and in this podcast, we feature creative industry leaders who share their stories, learnings and incredible insights on what helped them to achieve success. So let's get started with today's story of Courageous Leadership. Hello, everybody, and welcome to this week's Courageous Leaders Club. And I am delighted and honoured to have the fantastic Met Brian Fasano, co-founder and production lead at Other.London. Welcome to today's show. Oh, thanks, Joe. It's always so much fun to have these chats with you. So I'm excited. Uh, I'm just so pleased to have it here. And it's, yeah, because we've normally done these just on Facebook for first. It's the first time we're going multi-platform together. So taking control and she had an amazing career Toronto some fantastic agencies over there you came here to London Adam and Eve McCann YNR BBC you went over to the BBC you went to the client side and did that (laughs) amazing for you and now a co-founder like just huge congratulations you're such an inspiration especially for the world of the project managers and producers to show where that role can go and, you know, it really has got such future and legs of the aspiration of what you can be. Are you really proud of that and to, to be that role model? Because you're such a role model in the groups. that. <laughs> well, you know, it's so interesting because when you're just going through your day to day life, you don't really feel like that. But when you say it back to me, I'm like, wow, good for me. Good. Yes, I am <laughs> proud. I'm very proud. <laughs> it's pretty incredible. Yeah. And it is incredible. And I love it when someone can just say, do you know what? I'm proud. And you celebrate and you can acknowledge your own success. And I think that takes a lot of courage from some people themselves to acknowledge, yeah, I've done a good job. Thank you. So Mets, you know, we're here to talk about courageous leadership. We do this show to kind of really share the stories, inspire people to step into their courageous zone. What does being courageous mean to you, especially in sort of the world of leadership? Well, I think it's a really interesting, like, concept of what courage means. So Mm -hmm. for me, you know, if you go really back in time, I'm thinking about the leaders, leaders of in the medieval times, say, you have the person who is going to be calling the shots. They're actually in charge of the future and well-being of the people that are looking up to them. And they're also on the battlefield at the beginning. They're motivating their team to put it all on the line. And then they're actually there in the thick of it fighting. And I think that embodies like what I believe, like the values which is to take the hit, you have to be there to protect your team because they'll really resonate with that. But you also have to motivate them. You have to give them a reason to believe, believe in you. And I think that when you put yourself out there and you're in front of the firing line and you're not afraid if they see you go down, your ego is kind of has to go to the side. I think that shows them that you're really there to bat for them. So for me, it's like that vulnerability of Mm -hmm. being able to show all your sides, but also you have to have the courage to speak up and have those difficult conversations for them. I think that is the combination. And that's that leading by example, I think that Mm -hmm. will be what they see and that helps them realize like it's worth putting my effort into it because I know that they care and we're in it together. Wow. I think that's one of my favorite explanations so far. Mm-hmm. And there's so much in there. And there's lots about, you know, the speaking up and the caring and being there for your team. I'd like to continue as a theme throughout the interview. What I'd love to start with first, though, is a bit about where your courage came from. 
you know, you lived in Toronto, you came to the UK, you know, where did you find that courage to really stand in your courageous zone? I think I've always been quite an independent person. I've lived in a lot of places. And I think that subconsciously that's maybe helped me realize that when you go into something new, that it's a new experience and that it's not the end of the world. And you find really great moments and everything. You kind of just collect all these great moments along the way. So I think on a subconscious level, that is where it came from. And then yeah. in like coming into my career, I think I was a lot less courageous when I was starting out, you know, I was a bag of nerves because yeah. I was thinking I need to get a job and need to pay my rent. Like I'm not going to, my parents, they're like, you're grown up now. Bye. You know? <laughs> so I had a lot of like, I guess, fear. I was afraid. What if they don't like me? What if I do a bad job? So I feel like there was a lot of courage that was lacking there. But over time, especially my first role, I started to gain confidence because I saw results. I saw results in terms of building connections. I saw results in my career getting promoted within the company. I saw how I was getting a lot done compared to maybe other people. So I'm thinking maybe, you know, I'm really good at this. Because sometimes you don't think it, but you have to look at the facts, right? So the facts were showing me, you know what, you're pretty good at this. And also you deserve to be treated with respect and you deserve to have a positive like experience in your career. Mm -hmm. So I think on that first role, there were a lot of amazing people that I worked with, but there was new, like a new manager who came in and it was just like, you know, they come in with a bulldozer, bad attitude, just not motivating non-courageous leader. (laughs) And I had this epiphany. I'm like, I put so much into this. I don't want to be treated like this. But the alternative was, I don't have another job lined up. I don't even know where to go because I've only worked here my whole, like, since university, you know, I've been there for a few years. And I had a moment where I realized that I still had to leave. And I had all of this experience. I've had a really positive, like, experience in terms of all the work I did and the feedback I had from all the good people. And so I had to kind of take a chance on myself and say, you've got a lot of talent, Mm -hmm. even though you don't have something lined up, like trust that you will get it. And it's better to just take a stand and have your integrity Mm -hmm. than to stay somewhere where they're not really respecting you. So I just quit my job. I wouldn't recommend that for everyone. (laughs) I quit my job. And I just left. I'm like, I don't know how I'm going to pay. You know, the, I could maybe survive for a month, but maybe not longer than that. Yeah. And it, the long story short is that it worked out. It worked out in amazing ways. I received like, this is kind of cringy, but I'm not like a model by any means, but I had been scouted on the street as a normal person model. And the time I quit my job, they called and said, I have a gig for you. And that money was like the money I needed to keep going. And I'm like, thank you, universe. Thank you. I'm here. I'm here for you. I'm listening. And then (laughs) shortly after that, I got a role at a great agency in Toronto. And that was actually my dream job. That's a job I wanted. I always wanted that job. So after taking such a scary move and seeing all the positive things that came out of it, that was like the first taste of just go for it. Like, you know, that feeling when you're just, you deserve to be stepping into something that feels like is part of like that enhances your worthiness, I guess. So that was the first time. And then once I learned that, I'm like, okay, just, it's okay. Just keep doing that. When you get that feeling, just do it. And that's what I love is you trusted how you felt. It was like, this isn't right for me versus 
oh, I should just stay. I should just suck it up. Maybe it will get better. And you were like, no, I'm going to stand for what I believe in. I'm going to stand for the fact that I believe in respect. I'm going to stand for the fact that I can see I'm good. And I think that's what's interesting for a lot of people. I love the way you just went, look at the facts. Because there's so many people, and I don't know if you see it as well, where all these limiting beliefs of, oh, I don't believe I'm good enough. I don't know. It's actually take some time to look at the facts around you and see the results versus all those voices in your head. And you'll actually probably go, hang on a minute, actually, I am enough. I'm good. And that that can give you that momentum to go, do you know what? I'm going to back myself. Yes. Yeah. And I'm be totally honest. I still have days where I'm like, I don't know, maybe I don't, why am I, you know, it creeps in now and again. And then that's when you're like, well, let's be objective here. Like you wouldn't necessarily have made all of these moves So you have to just trust yourself on that. Yeah. And as you go up and up your career, just the challenges get bigger and bigger. And so each time you're going to get a moment of self-doubt because the challenge has become bigger. It's kind of a different challenge for you to then overcome and learn and grow in and insane, be more courageous in. So the next thing for you, you then took that next leap. Because we said you've got a bit of a pattern of leaping to things. Mm -hmm. Very good opportunity. And you came to the UK. What was that? So you came to the UK without a job, without really knowing anyone. What was that thinking process for you to kind of, again, take that jump for yourself? Well, looking back, sometimes I think, was I even thinking? Because it's kind of crazy. Even now, I'm like, that was bold. But at the time, it felt right. And you mentioned like when you can just trust yourself, it felt really right. I felt Mm -hmm. like I had reached kind of the end of the line in Toronto. I'm like, I actually achieved everything I want to achieve here. So. I really want to go over there because that looks really cool. And if I can get half as far as I got here there, then look what I can do. What will that be like? So that was really the feeling of why don't I just go for it? And it's really interesting when you do crazy stuff like that, because there is always going to be the naysayers or the, "Mm." so like half the people in my life were like, oh my gosh, you got to just go for it. That's amazing. And the other half were like, are you sure? What, you don't have anywhere to live. You don't have any friends. You don't have a job. Are you sure? So you can see how there's always those like two different sides, right? And yeah. it's important to kind of listen to a bit of both of them, not be delusional, but be practical. Yeah. But I had a really deep trust in it working. I really, really did. That's a feeling I don't really get that often. And I don't think I've had so strongly since, but it was okay. like, no, no questions. I'm like, yeah. I wasn't even worried. I just acted like I'd been here the whole time. It was crazy. But maybe that helped. <laughs> you just get, yeah, and I think that trust and just seeing that it was going to work. You know, there's a lot of proof and evidence now that if you actually visualize the outcome you want and you see it working, pretty much it will work. You know, what you focus on is what you get. So if you'd come over here, for example, I'm not going to get a job and I don't know anybody, could have had a very different outcome to the outcome you, you know, the success that you've had in your career, which is wonderful. Was- I mean, I feel like there was a lot of luck, but a lot of open-mindedness that gave me the courage to maybe have those conversations or reach out to people that I wouldn't normally reach out to because I'm like, I don't have anyone else to talk to. So let's try this (laughs) and really just go for it. And I also thought, you know what, if I don't get a job here, I could work in a bar. I'll figure it out. I'll figure it out. And that reminds me of a wonderful quote that Tony Robbins has. It's not like the resources you have is how resourceful you are. And that's a lot of the thing is going, well, if I can't do it this way, I'll just figure out this way and I'll bounce back. So that resourcefulness and that backing yourself and self-trust. Wow. That's just like a recipe. That is just like your recipe for success. You gave it all to yourself, which is wonderful. (laughs) Yeah. I'm really glad it worked out. (laughs) 
yeah, I'm really glad. That's really cool because you're here with me now. Yeah. Um, so in terms of then, as you've now grown more into a leadership role and you're obviously now a co-founder, what are your learnings now being in that leadership? You've got team, people that, you know, are looking to you. What have been those key things that you're like, these are the foundations of what makes a successful leader? What for those are they for you? Well, I've been really fortunate to have really positive role models in my life in terms of managers. And I've also seen behaviors that when you're in that, you know, more junior position, you know how certain behaviors make you feel small. And I have to remember that just because I'm rising in the ranks per se, it doesn't mean that like my heart is still the same. I still have those experiences and I can still empathize with that. And so it's really important for me to make sure that all those times I didn't feel so good. I mm. never want anyone on my team to feel like that. What do I wish they had done? And to yeah. me, it really comes down to that connection, making sure that you're making that connection, they feel seen, and being yeah. open about your experiences and also like what you're going through in your leadership position, because that's also like leading by example and teaching them mm. how to rise up into their career. Yeah. So it's almost like a pay it forward kind of thing. So. Yeah. I do like to spend a lot of time with the team and having those connections so that you kind of break that barrier of, well, you're the boss, so I need to be perfect. Because if someone wants to be perfect in front of you, you're going to have a million blind spots for them. And it's really, you want to know your team, like you want to know them inside out. You want to know what makes them tick. You want to know what motivates them. You want to know if they're actually maybe not suited for this role or actually maybe They actually just need a different type of motivation, but you're not going to get that unless you actually make that connection and you're vulnerable within yourself. So they see that vulnerability, they mirror it back to you, that you unlock all of what's hiding beneath the surface, which is like a lot. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) And then that's how you can really push your team to do their best. And sometimes Mm -hmm. when you make, I've had those times when you kind of unlock it and you like think, actually, you know what, this isn't the job for you. Like, you know, I support you, but like, I get it. Like, maybe you should do something else, you know, even if that means I have to go on an recruitment drive. And that's like a whole lot of nightmare for me. But you yeah. have to be open and everyone, we're people, you know, yeah. we're people first. Yeah. And how important do you think right now this shift towards being people first is, especially now, you know, we're trying to navigate coming back into the office and what, you know, the learning we've taken from last year. How has that affected how you now see how you need to be as a leader? So maybe how you were before the pandemic? Honestly, it's more important than ever. Like a lot of people have spent this year going through all manners of journeys. Some up, down, round, around. Some have like had, you know, spiritual awakenings. Some have regressed. Like it's a mixed bag and you can't really paint everyone with the same brush. Mm -hmm. You have to really find out and take the time to show that you care because when people feel that they're seen and that you care, then you'll be able to know really what's the best move for them. How do I lead them? How do I manage them? You know, how do I support them? I want to direct them, but I also want to support them. You have that kind of marriage of the two different things. So it's so important now to almost, if you feel like you personally as a manager are going through some stuff, just think that everyone else is going through that too. And sometimes when you make that connection, actually, I learn a lot from my team. Like Mm -hmm. they teach me sometimes as much as I'm teaching them in different ways, especially if there's a more junior member, they have this, they're the new generation. Like I'm trying to stay cool and relevant, but (laughs) 
you know, they're teaching me stuff too. So you kind of have to see it as a two-way street. Yeah, I think that's just lovely. And for you in terms of when did that shift come for you where your career initially, as as it is for a lot of people, it, it needs to be about you. You know, I need to get this. I'm going for this promotion. I've seen this job. Go me. I'm doing well. When did that moment happen for you when you're just like, oh, my God, it's not about me anymore? And that shift where you had to shift for connection and allocating your time more versus being in the weeds of the day to day of doing stuff. Do you know, it was actually when I had my first head of department role, because I think and it was also through feedback, which I think is so important Mm -hmm. as managers. Like we need to get feedback from what's really going on, because you remember when you were on the shop floor, there was a lot of stuff going on. Everyone's talking this and that about the boss. Now you're the boss. They're still talking about just talking about you now. (laughs) (laughs) What's going on? (laughs) Like, you know, like sometimes it's easy to forget. Like, yeah, they'll be talking about you because that's just happened. So it's like, I want to know what they're talking about because that feedback is important. Just because I'm here doesn't mean that what they think doesn't matter. So I got some really good feedback when I was having like an appraisal and it was like, they want to spend more time with you. And I thought, well, I sit with them all day and like, literally I'm sitting with them all day. We're chatting all the time, but they're like, no, they want one to one time with you. And I was like, oh, I never thought that they would care enough to want to have a one-on-one with me. And that was like a ding dong. That is a thing that people care about. And that's when I started doing that. I started doing that and it was great because I got to even get an even better understanding of them. And then they yeah. started, you know, trusting and confiding. And they'd be like, oh, Matt's is like therapy time. And I'm like, yes, good. <laughs> Tell me everything. So that was a big learning for me. And that's something I've taken now everywhere. Even if you're talking to them every day, even if you're yeah. sitting with them, having that one-to-one time, you know, that really feeling like they're a priority for you makes a big difference. And do you, did you ever experience, because I definitely did, and I know I did it as well, and I now look back and go, I wish I hadn't, and it was a big lesson where you put these one-to-ones in, and then they're the, sometimes the first thing that comes out of your diary if a pitch comes in, if a project comes in, and suddenly before you know it, your team are just getting this message of, oh, my one-to-one's been cancelled again. Yeah. I didn't at that time when I was early in my leadership realise the impact of me doing that. Did you experience that firsthand? And are you quite conscious of that now in how you work? Yeah, because of the whole concept of the one-to-one coming from them wanting it with me, I realized that it was really important. It was almost like in an appraisal, that was like one of my measurements of success, right? So for me, that is when I had that connection like off the bat. But, you know, if I didn't, I didn't even have them in the diary to cancel. You know what I mean? Like, what's worse? So. Because of that, I think I realized how important it was. And yeah. I really don't like to cancel at all. Or I'll try maybe I'll twist it or move it or like sometimes I'll call them personally. But I know that I don't want them to feel like they're not a priority. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it was the worst when you just said appraisal. It's the worst when your appraisal gets moved. That's like, yeah. really? I've just built myself up for this. I'm ready for the yeah. feedback. And then yeah. you tell me something else is more important than giving me feedback. Yeah. And it's. It's sometimes those simple things, isn't it? Those simple things that those people just need from you. And I think you've summed it up so well is they just want your time. And I think it's so easy for leaders to get caught up in the day to day and forget that leadership is about really allocating that capacity to be there for your team. Yeah. It's really tough. Yeah. Because like we have to do two jobs. Like we only do one job and then we're really good at that job. 
And they're yeah. like, you're so good at it. You should manage people now. And you're like, that's not everyone's forte. Yeah. <laughs> so you then you don't get like training on how to do that unless you're lucky enough to have really great managers that you start to then emulate. But if you had a bad manager, you might yeah. start to emulate them too. And that's yeah. why it's kind of tricky for managers because no one really teaches you properly. You're only learning while you're on the job now. That's kind of how it is. You don't learn before you just learn on the job and kind of sink or swim. And it's also so easy then to hang on to what you were really good at and just keep doing that job. Yeah. And not let yeah. go. I think it's that great book, isn't it? What got you here won't get you there. Yeah. So if you don't let go of that. Actually, you're not giving yourself a chance to be a great leader. Yeah. So for leaders watching this who maybe don't find it natural to connect with their team, you know, we have lots of different types of people and I do Aegis behavioral profiling and there's like 50% of the population that are more task focused than they are people focused. What sort of advice would you go? Someone's like, well, how do I build connection? What is a way to kind of bring somebody in and make someone feel like they matter? Because you do it very instinctively. It's very natural for you. If you were to teach someone that had no idea how to build connection with someone, how would you advise them? Well, that's really a good question because it does come naturally to me. And I think I'm just blessed with that. Yeah. There's a lot of things I can't do, but that's one of the things I can do. And I think it's been really helpful. But I'm also really into my craft as well. And maybe that will help me kind of see it from the other side. You know, I apply methodologies <laughs> and, <laughs> and I would just see it as like another like project or task. I yeah. mean, the core thing is your team want to feel like they're seen yeah. and they want to feel like you care. Now, yeah. how do you do that? Maybe it's putting in those meetings and making commitment to yourself that I'm not going to move them. And then when you're in that meeting, just listen, you don't have mm-hmm. to do anything. You don't have to say anything. Building the connection is almost the trust that they have in you because they feel like you're listening and you see them. And maybe naturally that connection will build. And of course, some people you'll build a connection a little bit more organically. Some people it might be, you know, more formal, but I Mm -hmm. think that if you just decide to show up and listen, just try that for a while and see how that changes and see how that goes. I feel like that's the basis, but that goes a long way. And it goes such a long way. And it's so interesting when you just say to people, show up. Because people don't show up at 100%. They show up, but they've still got their email notification going on here. Or you can see that they're trying to type or they're looking at their phone. And actually on screen, I think it's even more obvious when people aren't really listening to you when they're doing this. You know, And you can, I had someone like yesterday, I could just see that they were pretending to listen to me. And they were like, type that I did. <laughs> not listening to me. And like, you've got to understand how that makes me if you're not listening to me how would you like it so I think that it sounds so simple to show up and listen but so strangely people actually find it hard to show up and actually be present and yeah. to button and just yeah. To really yeah and not listen to what you want to hear really listen to what the person is saying and don't make these assumptions or trying to mind read them in your head to try and fix them because you think you've got to have the answer because you're the leader I think that's a big one because sometimes you're the leader you're like oh they're coming to me with problems when I meet with them all they do is like give me all their problems and I have to find out solve all the problems it's like actually they don't always expect you to solve all the problems but if you just listen and say you know I'm so glad you shared that with me and I'm going to take that and see what I can do or you know just something that you don't have to promise in the world but I do feel like there's a lot of pressure I felt pressure I'm like oh gosh I got to solve they got this they feel that but sometimes it's just like well we can't solve it all but if we listen it's a step forward or you can try and coach them to solve their own problem. But maybe that's like, maybe that's phase two. I don't know. (laughs) Phase one is listen. Phase two is 
than that. Yeah, become the coach. And I think Harvard Business Review put a lovely article up today. It's like how you get people to find the answer themselves because then they've persuaded themselves to take action. So yeah. the power of telling someone to do something has very little impact. But if you've said, oh, yeah, I think that's a really good idea, you're more likely to do it because you've persuaded your own mind. So I think that's mm-hmm. becoming a leader as a coach really is kind of that for me is where I'm doing a lot of my training is where the training really is mindset, coaching skills, behavioral skills. And as you said, getting to know your team as an individual, you know, Chad yeah. spoke about that a lot last week It's individual leadership, not mass group leadership, yeah. in, which I think is so important. So for you right now, what's been really important for you now in terms of, you mentioned before when we were backstage, you know, emotional intelligence, you know, speaking up and in your intro at the beginning, you said, you know, finding your voice to speak up. How is that really important to you right now in terms of the future and what's going to happen and you finding your voice of what's important to you? I think that like, even though I've had so many experiences and successes, I think every time you jump into a new thing, it's almost like sometimes you forget a little bit and you have to remind yourself to have that courage and to have that, I guess, boldness to speak up. And I think the higher you go, the higher level everyone else is as well. So there is a little bit, you do feel that peer pressure, but I think, again, looking at the facts, trusting what's got you there, trusting your experience and also leaning into what you feel is your point of strength, you know, and be ready for having to have a little back and forth as well. I think that like, you know, personally, or I always want to say, I have the answer, guys, do it. (laughs) (laughs) That's what we all want. And then, you know, you get all this back and forth. And, oh, God, oh, God. But it's actually being open and being open minded to hearing other points of view. And I feel like if you can do that, if you feel strong in your conviction and your beliefs, but you're still open yeah. to hear other people's sides, because there's always another story. Yeah. You know, my husband has a great saying, like, if you're oh, like, complaining about stuff and he's like, we all have problems. Like, yeah. we all have problems. So get on with it, you know, make it work. <laughs> And I'm like, fine, I'll do the dishes. Um, but, <laughs> but I think it's that combination of believing in yourself, but also knowing that you don't have all the answers and being open to other people's points of view, you know, not being too hot headed because it's easy to do that when you're passionate about your work, which I feel like a lot of us are really passionate about our work. Yeah, you can get go into that rigid thinking. Yeah, I'm rigid. I'm sticking here. Yeah. We're not leaving the room until you tell me that I'm right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So that doesn't, doesn't get you very far. <laughs> doesn't get you far. So you kind of have to meet in the middle sometimes. So when in terms of, you know, we spoke about vulnerability and courage and stuff. And a lot of that comes from being open to failure, open to knowing that there's going to be mistakes, open to going, say you came out of that meeting and everyone backed you, but it didn't go quite right. And it was like, oh, but we backed you, Mets, because you said that this would work. What's your perspective on that in terms of embracing failure and how you navigate that? Well, I think like failure is such a scary word for me. It's like so scary because I think just from childhood, I think we just have all these like concepts and ideas of like, what is failure, especially in school. It's so like obvious when you get an F, you're a failure, you know, they rank you, they rate you. And I had a very, I guess, how do I say this? My parents were very like, they had very high standards. So it was like, you're not going to get bad grades. And I'm like, oh, okay. And then I did it because I just never didn't think I was allowed. And I'm like, I don't want to get in trouble. So I did have really high, high, high grades. And then I got to university and I was still doing pretty well, but I had one class and I failed it. And my first F, I was like 22 years old, fail. And I'm like, my world 
is over. You know, I have to go to summer school. My GPA is ruined. Like, this is what it's like to be a failure. But actually, getting F wasn't so bad. Yes, I had to go to summer school, you know. But I realized that, why did I get the F? Well, the teacher was bad, but that's also, I could have done a bit more. I could have done a bit more. And maybe because I knew I didn't do as much as I could have, mm-hmm. I felt like it was more of a failure. Because I failed maybe myself. If I had really put everything into it and still failed, maybe I wouldn't have felt as bad. But it was a combination of got an F on paper. And maybe I, deep down, I know I could have probably pushed myself a little harder you know? So I feel like after that experience of coming back, going to summer school, got a good grade, everything worked out, graduated, you know, hallelujah. I realized that failure is really a correlation of like, actually how I feel like I received that challenge. And I think because I was still young, you know, I had, you know, it was like trying to get a job at like the equivalent of boots or trying to get a job at like HMV. And I was not getting these jobs. And I was like, oh my God, I'm a failure, you know? And it was because I was so worried about yeah. how people would see me. Yeah. I wasn't actually putting my best foot forward. So then I mm-hmm. thought I was a failure because I'm like, I probably could have done better, you know? So that was yeah. a bit of a pattern until I realized that switching my behavior, being a bit more open, trying my mm-hmm. best, even yeah. if I didn't get the job, I'm not a failure because I tried yeah. my best. And that's when failure was not a thing anymore. I don't think I would consider anything a failure. It's mm-hmm. just... How proud of myself am I? Next time, what can I do a little bit differently? Yeah. And I think that's how I might approach having a situation where I'm like, guys, this is the answer and it not happen. But I try not to have that happen because I try and be open and transparent as well. And maybe a bit of vulnerability. I don't like to promise the world. I don't like to say things that I can't back up. Period. Yeah. And a lot of people just say stuff. They just mm-hmm. say, oh, yeah, we could do it. I'm like, I never said that, okay? I yeah. said I'd try my best. I said I'd do everything I could. I yeah. said this, that I said, you know what? On my watch, you know, I want to see it happen, and I'll do everything in my power. But yeah. I'm not going to say that it's 100% going to happen because we don't know the future. Yeah. So because of that, I'd kind of maybe give myself a little caveat, you know, project yeah. management style <laughs> caveat. <laughs> I know. Yeah. I my trainers always said to me, it was like under promise, but over deliver. Yeah. This kind of sort of thing. It's like, don't set yourself up if it's something you're not sure you can actually achieve. So with that lovely approach, because it looks like you just see it all as learning, all as growth and be comfortable, just getting uncomfortable if you need to say, yeah, it didn't quite work out, but let's try this. How do you encourage your team to have that sort of mindset to be able to, you know, embrace the uncertainty, embrace the unknown and be able to step forward into that? How do you do that? Well, I feel like one, just in terms of being open and being vulnerable, they know that it's okay to talk about stuff. So that's just like a baseline. But Mm -hmm. I also think that sometimes we feel like we need to have like all the answers. Like I have a problem and we need to get there. And a lot of people get so caught up being afraid to fail that they don't even take a first step. So I'm a big believer in let's try this and see if it works. And if it works, amazing. And if it doesn't work, let's try something else. Let's see what we got there and we'll try something else. So I'm always trying to keep things moving because I'm like, well, let's just try it. Because I don't know. And I hate that. I'm like, just let's let's just try it, please. If not, we'll be sitting here in a month and we wouldn't have done anything. 
we could sit here in a month and maybe have something. And so it's not really a failure approach. It's like everything is a trial, you know, and sometimes those trials, they just work. Most of the time they just work, to be honest. Most of the time people are overthinking things and you're like, this is what, this is way better. We just tried that. Great. Great. You You have to just try. Yeah. Safe environment to try. We'll give it a go and we'll learn something from it. Exactly. Yeah. I love that. So before we close, a couple of things. It's just being a co-founder now. Like how exciting. So what's that like? Do you know what? It's so interesting because, I mean, I've never done that before. It's almost even more important to be a courageous leader because it's not just like you're a head of department because Mm -hmm. we're a small team. So my department's really small, but Mm -hmm. it's actually being someone who's encompassing the whole agency and trying to embody what we stand for and our values I think that there's a lot of pressure there and we have to make sure we don't forget that side of the equation, especially being a startup because you're like, I've got to think about, you know, the work and the clients. So we're very heavily focused there, but it's so important to also remember about, I say, inside the house, outside the house. So we have to remember about inside the house as well. And I feel like a lot of my past experience is really helping me kind of navigate this space. So, you know, I love a challenge. Yes. (laughs) So I feel like I'm in the right place. Oh, that's brilliant. And I'm so happy for you. And it's, if anyone deserves it, it's you. And with all this growth and learning and great perspective you have on the world, I always love to finish on this. If you could fly back to your younger self, what would you whisper in that ear and go, do you know what? Know this now because it's going to make your journey so much easier. What would you share? You know, that's such a good question. I think the number one thing is like, don't be afraid to speak up, even if you might be wrong. Yeah. Because I think it's also a very woman thing. You're like, oh, I don't want to be wrong. I won't say anything. And then you know what happens. That dude over there says exactly what you were thinking. And everyone's like, oh, my God, what a great idea. (laughs) Like, how many times has that happened to us? Like, a lot. So I would say don't be afraid to speak up. And don't be afraid if you're wrong. Don't be afraid how people react to it if they think it's a silly idea or not. Just have that courage to get in the habit of just, bah. Because... I mean, I feel like that's something that, you know, it took me a long time to find that. And, you know, I still have to find that depending on the dynamics of a room. You know, you never know how you're going to feel. So I don't know how it would have turned out. Maybe I put my foot in it, but it would have been great to have that advice. A bit earlier. Yeah. Find your voice. Find your voice. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's for me when I really felt like I found my voice, it was knowing that I could just show up as my true self show up as who I am because then my voice and everything just naturally came. I felt confident. And as you said, not seeing it as being wrong or failure, just seeing it as I'm leaning in and I'll learn something from this. It's such a different mindset and a different approach. Metz, thank you so much. Any final parting words of wisdom? Just enjoy your life. Don't overthink things. That's yeah. Yeah. Just enjoy it, you know, because it's short and we're very lucky. (laughs) And it is we work so hard and let's just make sure we keep the fun and the playfulness in yeah. it. It can all be serious. It's like, let's bring that play back in and remember how to have that joy, which is lovely. Absolutely. Mets, like huge congratulations on all your success. I'm so excited to see where you go with other dot London and we will speak again soon. I love our chat. I love our chat. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks for having Thank me. So much. Have a fantastic day. Thank you to all of those who's watched. We don't have one next week because I'm having a bit of a break, but we will see you in a couple of weeks. Take care, everyone. Bye. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode of the Courageous Leaders Club. Do take a moment to let me know what's been your biggest takeaway from this conversation. 
If you can think of someone who will benefit from listening to this podcast, please share it with them. I'm sure they'll appreciate it. Lastly, you can connect with me on LinkedIn and learn more about what I do at www.thechangecreators.com. Thank you so much for being here and we'll meet again on the next episode of the Courageous Leaders Club. Bye.